What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Disciple Makers Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Stovall. And today's episode is the first in a series of shows from our Discipleship.org collective platform about disciple-making movements. Bobby interviews Ken Shackelford and sets him up to take over for the next few episodes here in interviewing other disciple-makers from across the globe about disciple-making movements. Ken is the director of Luminations, which is an organization that gathers and tells stories of disciple-making movements that are happening around the world. In the middle of this episode, they share a clip of David Young sharing on this same topic at the Renew Gathering, which happens every year here in Nashville, Tennessee as well. All right, let's jump into the episode. This is Bobby Harrington and Ken Shackelford as an introduction to disciple-making movements. Ken, uh, bring us a greeting, and uh, in a second, I want you to tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, greetings to all of you, and I'm excited to be here, be here with uh, my friend Bobby. <laughs> well, we're glad to have you, and and we're going to um, spend some time in this session as kind of an introduction to disciple-making movements, but before we get to the disciple-making movements piece, uh, Kenneth, can you tell us just a little bit about your background first uh, in the United States and then your experience to disciple-making movements and the training you received and your experience in Albania? Sure. So um, I uh, was blessed to be in ministry full-time, straight straight out of college, and um, was in California mostly during that time for almost 10 years in the, in the San Francisco Bay area. And then more recently, I was blessed to be a part of a church plant in Northwest Arkansas that started with five families and God just poured his blessings on us. And, um, we grew in all sorts of ways, obviously numerically. Uh, and we, we would say we were doing ministry by the seat of God's pants. We were just hanging on for the ride because we didn't have any grand strategy necessarily other than just uh, trying to love on people and trying to be relevant and all of that. And, and um, so um, part of the way that God blessed the church was to give it a heart for the nations. And, um, and we definitely had a heart for discipleship, although I would I would have said something like discipleship.org back then would have been a huge blessing for, for me because I had not necessarily uh, been intentionally discipled, and I didn't have that model very much, but um, we certainly were trying just to follow Jesus and love on people and, and share his word and be real and relevant and be a big part of what we wanted to be about was prayer. So that certainly helped because God made up for a lot of mistakes. Uh, and an, another way we were trying to be um, relevant was to be, re be transparent, uh, sometimes brutally. So, and almost shockingly for some of the people that started coming into our church, how transparent we were being. So those were, those were some, some parts of discipleship that um, God blessed. But one of the ways he blessed it was to give us a heart for the nations, for all peoples. 
in a in a very surprising way. I I, I was um, born an MK missionary kid, and I knew um, you know being focused on the nations was important, but it was always for me kind of a part of the church, kind of segmented. And we were so busy with so many things happening that it had really gotten segmented. But it started growing, and part of that was. God uh, giving my wife and I a very surprising uh, calling, but very crystal clear calling to hand off the leadership of the church. We had grown from those few families to uh, close to a thousand in about five years. So we were getting uh, starting to get that mega church feel. Um, we 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 didn't own a building; they still don't, even though there are a few thousand now. But um, uh, that was surprising to us because it, that was really my ministry dream come true. It, it was in my sweet spot, but we were blessed to go and serve in Central Asia, a very remote location. You can see what it looked like. Um, behind <laughs> that looks me. like a, that looks like a remote road going somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that road itself was at about, um, 15,000. Uh, feet altitude. So it was up there. Um, but, uh, and we went with some fairly traditional um, models of, of reaching out um, and, uh, you know, crossing cultural boundaries, trying to make sure what they understood um, from the gospel really matched um, the truth, but also match what they could comprehend in their culture, you know, those types of things. Um, but up to that point, I'd never really been exposed to um, disciple-making movements, as we're calling them now, very much. I had be, I'd heard a little bit in the course Perspectives on the World Christian Movement that we took before we left. I'd heard a little bit about that, and I'd heard about uh, Garrett, David Garrison's book, Church Planning Movements, and that type of thing. But um, while we were there, I was I started getting more and more exposed to what God was doing in very powerful ways from multiple different streams of backgrounds, um, including you know within um, the country we were in that was very repressive, very. Uh, oppress as far as any kind of Christianity goes uh, for decades, the church had exploded in that persecution and and it was all about um, discipleship and so learning from them and then being exposed to um, while I was in Thailand at a conference, spent a week with a guy named Wolfgang Simpson who wrote Houses that Changed the World. And he, I think, joined, joined George Barna and wrote the House Church book. This very gruff, um, no-nonsense German man um, spending a week with him and him telling incredible stories of just very simply uh, making disciples and immediately training them to make disciples and having that expectation, but keeping it simple and, and the power of multiplication. Um, it blew me away. I felt like I had, I had sat at the, uh, it was like sitting at the feet of Paul and just hearing story after story after story of what God could do. And I'd never heard that the book of Acts was happening 
right now in very surprising places around the world. So after our time in China, um, we were there, we were involved in the project for about six years, but there um, probably less than, uh, well, around four years. We came back and then I continued to get some exposure to uh, disciple making and went to a conference that was led by Neil Cole. Um, and that was really powerful. But all of that I loved, but it, it didn't seem to fit me and, and my passions and giftings and desire to see congregational churches form and that type of thing. And so God was really doing a work on me. When we decided to go back to the field, uh, this time to Albania, and long story while how that ended up happening, but our younger uh, children were older now. We, uh, our, our three children that were on the field with us before, they were teenagers. My oldest daughter was in college, but we talked her into dropping out to go on the mission field with us because that's the kind of parents we are, right? So, um, uh, uh, she finished college later, but, um, we went to a training together and it was led by one of the gals that's going to be a part of this series. We'll talk about that in a moment, but, um, it rocked our world because it made discipleship. It, ma it made the idea of being a disciple maker so accessible to all of us. It's, it totally demystified this idea of what it means to make disciples, to make disciples. It was incredibly empowering because it was so simple. And so it was so amazing to go to Albania as a family and see our teenage kids just being disciple-making machines. They all uh, made disciples. They all started uh, small church groups. I mean, it was really, really fun to do that as a family. And, and for me, um, it was humbling, but at the same time, exciting, humbling in that it really had to strip away some of the things that I, I wanted to hold on to as, as a trained Christian minister, right? And not that those things were bad, and I still put them to use often. I love getting in front of large groups of people and preaching and doing expository uh, uh, preaching from the word and that type of thing. But um, that simplification, man, I, I just needed to give up some things and give it to God and let him do some of the work that some the burdens that I'd placed on myself, he did this, the spirit can do so much better. So really trusting the Holy Spirit um, and seeing him work. And so since then, I finally just said, okay, God, I get it. It's about disciple making. And, and that is where the rubber meets the road. And um, that is where we can truly begin to see God work the way uh, he intended to when we see the model, uh, the simple model that Jesus put uh, before us. So uh, since then, I've been pretty much dedicated to, uh, to trying to help connect believers to th their co-mission with Jesus. It's yeah. often called the great commission, but that, and that co-mission being to make disciples and 
very simply, you know, uh, when people respond to that, baptizing them and then teaching them, but not just teaching them, right? Teaching them to obey. And, and so that, that's been uh, part of our journey. And we, uh, we've been blessed to, to kind of be on this adventure. And I just feel like I'm learning more uh, about this. You would think after three decades of full-time ministry, I, I'd pretty much be settled into uh, what I know it's about. But, you know, just two days ago, I was listening to y'all, your latest um, podcast with uh, Scotty Kessler, and, 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 and I felt like I was just drinking it in all over again. You well, know, you, so know, you know, Kenneth, the great thing about disciple making is that nobody ever arrives, so we're always able to keep learning. Absolutely. When when I uh, a couple of years ago I talked to Robert Coleman who was then 90 years of age and had literally been discipling people uh you know since he was in his mid 20s like in his bible he has a list of all the people he disciples every year and uh, right. when Robert Coleman turned to me and said you know I'm just learning every day about yeah. making disciples I thought, well, you know, my, Robert Coleman says that that's good. That's how I feel too. Yeah. And I was blessed before Albania. One, one of, one of our trainers who'd come for a one week out of the three week training we are part of was George Patterson. He was in his late eighties and some people kind of refer to him as the father of modern church planning movements because he started putting some of these into practice back in the fifties. And, um, and it was so amazing to see this elderly gentleman and he, he ended up being my mentor and coach while I was in Albania. We would, we would talk uh, almost weekly um, and we'd Skype uh, back and forth into his nineties. And he still had so much energy and so much enthusiasm and, and such a desire, such a heart, even for Albanians, you know, to, want to see this happen there and he he really want he was asking me tons of questions and really wanted to learn what are the barriers there you know and and just to have that heart to be uh humble to learn and 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 want to be led by the spirit is is a, a powerful uh ingredient for kingdom movements for sure okay so uh Kenneth, you're you're about to move back to North Africa. You've got a unique situation mm-hmm. where you are planning to, with God leading you and guiding you and sustaining you to start a disciple-making movement. Um, let me uh, put on the screen a definition. Uh, this is a, a more simple definition than you often find, but let me put mm-hmm. it up there. A disciple-making movement exists when disciple-making disciples plant at least a hundred churches that plant churches at least four generations deep in multiple streams within a few short years. Yeah. Uh, just reflect real quick on this definition. Yeah. And, and we're going to dive deep into that uh, next week when we get uh, with Justin Long, who is the premier researcher on, on kingdom movements. Um, he, he has forgotten more than you and I know about this stuff, uh, and um, we're going to really dive into that. But when when you when you look at this, when you're talking about four generations, um, multiple streams, obviously a hundred churches. Of course, we're not talking about a hundred churches that have a hundred members. Typically, a movement 
they don't usually land on a specific number, but they're typically at least a thousand new believers within a fairly short period of time. And you start seeing new generations um, happening at that point, about eight, every 18 months to two years. And of course, a new generation means typically a doubling at least, if not more. And so um, the, the power is that by the time you get to four generations, it's kind of like us, and, and we'll talk about this next week as well, but um, we know our grandparents and we may know the name of our great grandparents, but you start getting into great greats. And yeah, I think I saw a picture of them that's our family, right? That's our blood yeah. family. And it's the same way when you get down to the fourth generation, it's a self-sustaining and, and, and it, it's obviously been built into the system in that those that are a part of that are, um, uh, they're, they're, they have these expectations that being a part of this being a follower of Jesus, this is what you do. This is normal Christianity. It's not just something we're trying to reach out and grasp somehow that seems elusive. This is just part of their DNA. And so that's right. So, We've got a video we're about to show everybody <clears throat> that I think will be a great introduction to disciple making movements. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let me just mention a couple things before we show it. I want you, everybody, to realize that this kind of movement is really. Uh, common where Christianity is expanding around the world, but we can't find any clear examples of disciple-making movements in the U.S. yet. There's some signs, uh, mm -hmm. some early signs, uh, but there's no disciple-making movements that we can find in the U.S. Now, historically, there were disciple-making movements in the U.S. If you know anything about, you know, the expansion of the Wesleys, right. uh, John Wesley with uh, Alexander Campbell, uh, and, you know, there's movements like that, but currently there isn't. Yeah, so this yeah. is a super exciting thing for us to explore. So I wanted to mention that. I also wanted to mention that we have a chat box and we, wanna, uh, we want you to know if you have questions, we'll try to get to them if you put them in the chat box. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to show you a presentation that gives real specific examples of disciple-making movements. Uh, the presentation was made by David Young, who mm -hmm. went to West Africa to be with Shadonke Johnson, who will be on. Uh, we're going to, uh, Kenneth is going to have an interview with Shadonke Johnson on April 28th, yes. uh, where Kenneth will be talking to him. So this is an exploration of Shadonke Johnson, uh, the disciple-making movement in Sierra Leone that's literally transformed the country and uh, it's at a gathering for renew.org. Uh, renew.org is one of the partners of discipleship.org. And uh, David does a great job explaining with pictures and specific examples what happens in a movement. So notice he'll talk about multiple generations of disciple-making disciples. He'll talk about how everybody sees themselves as a disciple who makes disciples. And then he'll just show you how broad spread it is. So he begins off, it's a group of uh, church leaders he's addressing. So he cracks a few jokes at the beginning about, uh, you know, um, kind of the main ways that 
church leaders often handle things today, and then he gets right into it. So let's show this video, and then on the other side, we'll try to deal with questions, and Kenneth and I will jump right in to the conversation. So let's join together and watch it now. Two things I want to say first. Look at me. I'm 58. I'm balding. My stomach's hanging over my belt. I'm wearing khakis and a blue shirt. So I want to say to the youth pastors who are here and like you church planners that got these like big epic beards and the lead pastors with your skinny jeans, whatever your vision is, whatever your vision is, this is your destiny. And, and, and I hope I'm here to see it. I hope I'm here to see it. Uh, yeah, all that stuff's gone. And the second thing is this. For like 30 years, I was a traditional minister in a traditional church that's 70-something years old. Really, it was like the, the, some of the best years of my life. And I love my church. They honored me. It was an honor to do ministry there. But then, like, about seven years ago, I just kind of went through a personal crisis, which is involved, involved a lot of things. One of them was when my son said they didn't believe in God anymore. And so I went to the elders, and I said, you know what? Let me go away. i got to rethink this whole thing. So I went away on a retreat, and here's what I prayed. Really now, I think it was rather foolish. I said, Lord, what is your vision for me and for North Boulevard, my church? What's your vision? And... Um, like somewhere halfway through that little retreat, I, I kind of got this response, hey, idiot, like why do I got to tell you this? You, you didn't read this? It's like in the, been in the scriptures for 2,000 years. You, need, you really need me to tell you. I'm being serious here. Like it came down to this. Your vision is go make disciples of all nations. That's it. Like I'm not going to give you anything else. I don't get a private contract with God. We negotiate some special deal. My church is not like yours. We have a special deal. Instead, I get the vision that he gave me. His vision is go make disciples of all nations. In fact, he kind of put it to me this way. He said, you know that little deal where you've all heard the story about you can't save every starfish, but I saved that one? He said to me, stop talking like that. I didn't tell you to go save one starfish. I said go make disciples of all nations, and you can do it. The only way you won't do it is if you walk by sight. Because walking by sight, there's no way to do it. And North Americans are specialists at walking by sight. So when we hear like a guy like Shadonke Johnson speak, Shadonke Johnson says this yesterday. He's been coaching our church, and uh, he's talking to us, and he says, uh, you know, I said to everybody, hey, you need to go to Sierra Leone um, because when you go, it'll change everything. And Shadonke just somewhat sheepishly says to me, yeah, it's really important for Americans to see it because you all walk by sight. And he can say that to me because um, he's bigger than I am and a lot of other things too. But um, it, what if you walk by faith? Like what if when Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations, what if that's actually possible to people who care about it? So this is what happened. I came back and I said to the elders, like, here's the deal. 
I want to lead North Boulevard and I want to lead it however God, you know, whatever y'all are willing to do. But the rest of my life is about one thing till the day I die. I'm pushing every poker chip I have in the middle of the table. I'm walking up to the edge of the cliff. I don't care if there's a rope or not. I'm jumping. I'm going to do my best to make disciples of all nations come hell or high water. That's what I'm going to do. That's it. For me, that's it. I had no idea what I was doing. I'd never heard of Bobby Harrington. I remember going to an exponential conference. First time, it was like 5,000 church planners and disciple makers, and Jim, Jim Putman was speaking. And every word he said, I thought to myself, you know, I thought I was pretty smart till he said that. It's everything he said was like, I didn't know you could do this. And then we got up and said, let's just plant 60,000 churches. Why not? And, you know, inside, I'll tell you what I thought inside. What I thought inside was, I know we'll never do it, and we'll end up looking like idiots, but it'll inspire the church. And, you know, they'll think that, we're, that we know what we're doing. We tried to raise $1.6 million that very year to start a church planting movement. We, instead of $1.6 million, look, we opened up the envelopes. We had wedding rings, property. People were given percentage of their businesses. We raised $6.1 million for church planting. All of a sudden, when we cast a vision, here's what I discovered. When you say, I'm going to walk by faith, I can't do this, but God, if you're willing to. So all of a sudden, all these resources, I'm not joking, signs, wonders, and powers, blood, and fire, and billows of smoke. That's my new text. They started happening all around us. Like, no kidding, we used to talk about our miracles possible. That's hilarious. Like, they happen all the time at my church. I'm not making this like all the time. Like, it's kind of boring, really. It's our access, like, yeah. We had a kid, he's like um, 16 years old, and he hears about a children's home over in Tanzania, and they need $50,000 or something like this. So he gives $20. He goes to our youth minister who's sitting back here somewhere. He says, can I make an announcement? The youth minister says, yeah, and whatever you raise, I'll add 500 to it. Then some family says, well, if he gets five, we'll give five. Another family says, we'll give five. Someone else comes along, and they say, hey, We'll match it, whatever you raise. Then some corporation calls. My wife just got back from Tanzania two weeks ago where she handed a check from $20. She handed him a check for $110,000. So here's my thing. You don't have to call that a sign of wonder or power. If you don't want to call it a miracle, it doesn't matter to me. I don't care. But if you are a woman living in Tanzania and you can't make milk for your baby because you are so poor and you pray, dear Lord, will you bring me some milk and $110,000 worth of formula shows up, that's a pretty good miracle. It just happens all the time. Once you step out in faith, God starts to act. Actually, not only God, but demons start to act too. They expose themselves. Because they're all in your church. Like, you, don't, you know that, don't you? They're all in your church. Your members, like, they're full of demons. But the demons in your church are smart, and they're smarter than you are. They're smart enough to know not to show themselves. Once you step out by faith, not only does God show himself, but the demons start showing themselves too. Because now we're full on. There's going to be a fight now. When you step out in faith, God starts sending you resources. I got to tell you this. This is like super cool. I just saw him walk in, and I don't see him now. The lights are in my eyes, but Jerry Trousdale just walked in. <clears throat> are you out there, Jerry? Did I see you? Did I, I didn't make that up, did I? <laughs> well, um, maybe it's like a dream or something, a vision. I thought I saw him, and, and uh, anyway, okay, whatever. So Jerry Trousdale is like one of the grandfathers of disciple-making movements. Now, if you don't know about a disciple-making movement, you're going to know, you're going to get a snapshot in just a second. 
Jerry's living in Murfreesboro. He was the vice president for Thomas Nelson. He wasn't in my fellowship. Like, he, who are we? But when he heard that we announced 60,000 churches, he came and visited my church. He walks in one day. I said, Jerry, I knew him from, because I'd insulted him years ago when I said something about the New King James translation. I hope he doesn't remember that. He's not here, so I think I'm safe. <laughs> he shows up. I said, uh, he, I said, what are you doing? He says, I don't really know. And I said, I know. You're here to help us plant 60,000 churches. So Jerry comes to me, and he says to me, he meets with me, he says, you know, it's not as hard as you think it is. And I was thinking, well, I didn't really think it was hard. I thought it was impossible. He said, no, seriously, it can be done. He belongs to New Generations. He's a senior staff member for New Generations. And he says to me, New Generations has just finished planting its 59,000th church in 15 years. No kidding. And he tells me about this guy, Shadanke. So Shadanke spoke this morning like, I'm not sure you realize Shadanka Johnson's movement has baptized more Muslims in the last 15 years than have been baptized in the last 15 centuries combined times 10. They've baptized one and a half, one and a half million people. They have planned, I've met with, uh, I met with new generations of like their senior team. Met, they actually met in Murfreesboro, which is a real honor for us. My hometown, where I live now. I met with them. They're putting up on the wall all their stats of what they think is going to happen in 2020. This isn't like dream. These aren't dreams. This is statistically, this is what's probably going to happen because this is what happened last year. 9,000 churches they think they're going to plant this year in 2020. 9,000 churches. And I don't, like I have it on my phone because I took a picture of it. Like some crazy number of baptisms. And some guy in the back raises his hand and says, no, 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 no. My region's not 4,000. It's 40,000 baptisms. And they're like just, oh, yeah, okay, 40,000. Like, when's the last time your church made that kind of mistake? (laughs) Oh, no, it wasn't 4,000. It's 40,000. Yeah, okay, somebody changed that number. Jerry Trouser comes and places membership at my church. And all of a sudden, Shadonke Johnson's coaching me in my church. So here's the thing I say to Shadonke, what are you doing? Everybody asks the question, what are you doing? And his answer is, we walk by faith. Y'all walk by sight. We pray for it, we beg God for it. When he answers, we do it. It's that simple. We pray for it, we beg for it. When he answers, we do it. And everybody in Sierra Leone and across, all across Sub-Saharan Africa, every single one of them has the audacity not only to make disciples. Like, they don't know you don't have to. They should never visit America, ever. Because if they come here, they'll learn you don't have to do anything. You just have to sit there. That's all you got to do. I'll give it to you. You sit there, drop $5 in, done deal. Not only do they all think you have to make disciples, they think you're supposed to plant churches. Everybody you run into plants churches. So let me just give you a quick tour here. I have permission to share these. I've changed the names. Roger has overseen the planting of, I just like every time I met a church planter, I'm there, I just took a picture of me standing next to him. Not not every time because there were a lot more. You see, I've gotten even more pudgy since that picture. Here's our driver, Mahmoud. Mahmoud, this guy is a church planter who does all the driving. He's planted two churches. You get in the, you get, he picks us up at the airport. I said to him, I said, hey, uh, like, have you planted any churches? He said, oh, yeah, I'm a church planter who happens to drive. That's how he casts himself. 
Here's, a, I can't show his picture. This guy three different times has gone into Boko Haram territory in Nigeria where he has planted churches among the most extreme terrorists in all of Africa. He had, they've got 300 martyrs in their church. You had, like you heard that, didn't you? So our elders have said, we're all in. We've got a plan. We're, we're God willing, next year we're launching 16 disciple-making movements from North Boulevard. And one of the first things we had to reckon with is, are we okay knowing that we're going to have martyrs? This guy went, when his first trip to Boko Haram, the guys that traveled with him were murdered. He came back and his church said, don't go back. So he sneaked back because he can't stand the thought of lost people in Nigeria. By the way, it just keeps going. Here's the university president. You know what he is? He's a disciple-making church planner who happens to be a university president. This guy is a disciple-making church planner who happens to be the DJ at the local radio station. These three soccer coaches are disciple-making church planners. They won the award for planning the most churches. They got to go to the mega fest, which has 3,000 people show up. You know how many churches you have to have planted before you're allowed to go to mega fest? You can't even go if you haven't planted five churches. And 3,000 people will show up. Here's a, the, here's a church planner who happens to be a dentist. His job's easy because he puts you in the, the chair, he opens your mouth, puts a thing in there. You can't do anything. And he baptizes you at the end of the day. No kidding. The worship leader, this worship leader has discipled more than a thousand people. This woman, she is a disciple maker, church planter, who happens to be a CPA for one of the churches. Aliyah is leading a DBS with a Muslim crowd. One of the guys in this stands up at the end. Jerry tells me it takes you two DBSs when you do it right before they're baptized. This guy stands up after his very first one and he says, I like this Jesus, I'll be back. He's baptized the next week. Daniel's a zone leader. He's overseeing the planning of hundreds of churches. The brother kneeling, if I could tell you a story, he came in with a suicide bomb to blow up the church. Someone beats him at the door, wraps their arms around him, loves him, does a DBS with him. He's now planted 10 churches. I'm not showing his face because he's a, he lives in a dangerous world. This is what they're doing. Here are 11 generations of believers that a church is three years old. This woman brought this woman who brought this woman who brought this woman. 11 generations. Uma's leading a DBS among animists. There's John King, by the way, who designed DBS as you know it. Uh, when I asked who planted this church, every one of these guys came walking up. I planted it. They probably didn't understand me very well. Here's Shaka, who's 19 years old. He just planted his first church. Jacob has planted two churches. This woman has planted a church that, her name is Ruth. She has 250 members in her church. Edward is the zone leader. They can't count how many churches he's planted. Judah only plants churches where there are no roads. He's a specialist. I'm not making this up. None of this. Ten churches where there are no roads. Haji is blind, and he's planted two churches. To my right, Jamil's planted five churches. To my left, Ahmed, he's planted one church. Steve is a church planter who's a contractor. Everywhere he goes to build houses, he plants a church. He's planted five churches. Uh, Nyla, age 57, my age, when I took that picture, planted 10 churches. Isaiah planted this church. This little girl, three months old, she's already planted three churches. <laughs> she's serious, look how serious she is. <laughs> She's got the gospel, man. <laughs> Eight generations of believers at this church. This, by the way, this is Santa. That's, uh, 
That's Shadanke's wife leading a DBS. Maria has planted a church. The university campus plant, uh, planters have done five churches. Isa is a blind former imam, a sheikh. He loses his sight. His village throws him out of the the um, out of the uh, out of the uh, church. The uh, what's the what do you call a Muslim church? Thank you, the mosque. You think I didn't know that? I probably didn't. They threw him out because they thought he's being punished because he's gone blind. He goes. These Christians come up to him and say, hey, let us pray over you. He finally comes to know Jesus, but he can do nothing because he's blind. So he sits and he prays. People come up and say, will you pray for me? And miracles start to happen. Next thing you know, a church forms. And he says, that wasn't all that hard. So he gives a guy $5 and he says, take me to the next village. God takes him. He's blind. He sits under a tree. He starts praying. All these Muslims come to him. He starts praying. Miracles start happening. He plants a second church. By the time I met this guy, he had already planted, what do I say, there are nine churches. And he told me this was in November. He said, I think I got two more in me before the end of the year. I'm just saying, you're thinking to yourself, there's no way this can happen. You're thinking, my vision is to, I don't, you know, find a deacon capable of doing our pencil sharpening ministry. Good luck. I'm just telling you, you can reach the whole world if you walk by faith. Edward's a national comedian. He's like, he does the night show there. He's planted two churches. This guy left a, uh, let's keep going. Boom, boom, boom. I'm not making any of this up. We're getting, she's a, we're leaving the country. And there's a team of like eight or nine uh, of us from uh, Murfreesboro. We're coming out. I select when eight big, you know, White people show up at the international airport in Bow. It gets attention. So the head of security walks up to us to find out what we're doing. We say, we've been in there. We were with a guy named Shadanke Johnson. He goes, oh, Shadanke, I know Shadanke. He baptized me. I planted a church. He takes me back. This is the head of security at the international airport. He takes me back. There's a picture of Shadanke Johnson sitting on his desk. He introduces me to all the security. He's baptized all of them. Okay. The clock says I'm two minutes over. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and this little guy right here, that is the happiest little boy you'll ever see. You know why he's happy? Because he's growing up where people have decided, I don't have to come up with my own vision because God already gave me a vision. He made it really clear. His final command ought to be your first priority. Go make disciples of all nations. If you think it can't be done, you're walking by sight. Because your God is an awesome God. You may just not know it. Thanks. I want to take a quick break and tell you about something cool happening over at discipleship.org. It's our discipleship.org collective. It's an online community for disciples and disciple makers. And if you fit in either one of those categories, then the collective is designed just for you. The website itself is super cool because it's basically like stepping into a virtual church building with a welcome center, an auditorium for our main events, and even classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective with all of its webinars, seminars, ebooks, and even disciple-making assessments for you personally or for your whole church. And this is a community so you can also have the opportunity to connect with other disciple makers. And while membership is free, there's also a premium access option, which includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. 
So head on over to discipleship.org slash collective and sign up for your free membership today. Well, uh, I hope you enjoyed that presentation by David Young as much as I do. Uh, if you did, if you didn't enjoy it, you need to check your pulse. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, uh, Kenneth, when you watch that video, uh, what stands out to you as some of the important things that North Americans need to realize about these disciple making movements? I think, um, one of the most important is that it's extremely biblical. <laughs> I mean, the, the way they're doing things is what you're, what you read in the book of Acts and it's what you hear Paul referring to through his letters, you know, and in second Timothy two, two, when he's talking to Timothy, he's, he's basically speaking out for generations, the things you've heard me say among many others. So it's not just Timothy, there's multiple streams, uh, entrust this to trustworthy men who can also teach others. So in one verse you have four generations, but it, just said it's it's very very biblical this idea of just simply making disciples baptizing teaching obedience um and uh yeah it, i i love you know some of his joking at the beginning and that uh when when he's talking about this is not it's simple but it's not easy in fact for us it's impossible we, it, we have to be dependent on the spirit uh, for this to happen. And, and we have to also realize there are spirits very much against this. And I know that within this series, um, you're going you're gonna to probably hear people say that, you know, Satan is probably okay with us just doing addition, um, addition growth because addition growth won't reach the world. Yeah. But boy, he is against multiplication. So, so let me um, ask you uh, uh, a question or deal with something uh, mm -hmm. that's related to this. So, so what we're envisioning is disciples who make disciples who make disciples who plant churches that make disciples that plant churches. And right. so you've got, you've got these multiple streams, hundred, at least a hundred churches, four generations deep. That's amazing stuff. Right. Notice what's happening uh, is different than, and the language is different than what North Americans are used to. So right. Jonathan in the chat box asked this question. Sure. He says, what do you mean by discipleship as it is used in our current culture? Uh, he says, I found discipleship really vague, uh, and which he's absolutely right about that. Yeah. Discipleship Discipleship tends to mean education in North America. Yeah. Like uh, I'll tell people that, you know, I, I uh, have the privilege of leading discipleship.org and they go, Oh, I got some, some uh, curriculum I want to show you. Right. And, well, uh, and, and uh, I'll just tell you that I was, when I first was first exposed to discipleship.org, it, it was after I had been exposed to disciple making movements. And so I went into it probably, I, honestly, I was thinking, yeah, this is going to be probably more along the lines of a Western style, that kind of education, knowledge-based, yeah. discipleship, 
but I was pleasantly surprised when I went into your definitions and, and I know Gary put a link to, to those definitions. Yeah. Um, let me just say that for anybody who's watching the replay, if you go to the about tab, uh, there, uh, under or on the discipleship.org website, uh, there are definitions. I believe it's in the uh, eighth, eighth, eighth or ninth affirmation. We have very clear definitions because this is so important that we get this right. Right. Uh, about what and you, about. you don't want to toss out the word disciple because it's it is biblical. I, I know discipleship isn't there, but disciple is. It's not just biblical, but it's crucial because it's part of our commissioning in yeah. making disciples. And so, yes, I know disciple means follower, but you don't want to toss that word out. I think it's important what you guys have done is, hey, let's let's get a very healthy, uh, very biblical uh, definition of this so we all know what we're talking about. Yeah, let me just say a few words about that, if I can, uh, because I, I think uh, getting definitions right is everything. I, I do a little bit of private mentoring for some uh, church leaders here. Uh, in America. And uh, one of the first things we try to work with them on is that you got to get your definitions right, because if you don't know what you're aiming for, you're not going to get there. And so, um, uh, you know, we think the word disciple, getting a good biblical framework for disciple. And again, we have that definition, our, the definition that we use here at discipleship.org uh, that, uh, you know, we just adopted what Jim Putman worked on years ago. And it's a disciple of somebody who's following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and who's committed to the mission of Jesus. Now, as Ken mentioned, the word discipleship is actually not in the Bible. The word evangelism and the word discipleship are not in the Bible. You can just do a Google search or a, you know, a search on your a Bible app to find that out. Discipleship is a word, it's a made-up word that simply means the state of discipleship. The biblical languages make disciples, and so the idea of disciple-making tends to be more biblical language. Yeah. Uh, and then I want to add an adjective to it, and that's Jesus-style disciple-making. So when we talk about what we're talking about, we're talking about doing with people what Jesus did with his disciples. Right. So Jesus' method of disciple-making is that which we champion. Yeah, and that that doing it's 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 a very action based. There is in in those in those three things you mentioned. It's you know that that committed to being a part of Christ's mission. That's a being. So there is a being to it. But so much of uh, being a disciple maker is 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 not a, a brain thing. It's a going out. It's a relationship activity. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it is a stepping out in faith. It's a believing that God is working on people's hearts. It's a believing that the, the harvest is plentiful, but the bottleneck is not in the harvest, even here in the U.S. That's not the bottleneck. The bottleneck is that the workers are few. Who are the workers? The workers are disciple makers, not pew warmers or church members, but active disciple makers. That's good. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, Kenneth, what, what I'd like to do is I'd like to um, ask you 
to uh, help us to see, and I'm going to show each of these, I'm going to throw them at you rapidly because I'm conscious of our time here. Right. There are barriers that you've mapped out to disciple-making movements here in... Speci in uh, yeah, yeah, specifically for this culture, yeah. Yeah, yeah, in North America. So uh, I just want you to be brief on each of these. I'm going to, we'll try to do a one minute on each rapid fire. Mm -hmm. So the first barrier that you bring up is time and money. Talk sure. to us about that. Yeah, and 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 again, just to back up a moment, Ben in the in the chat, you know, asked, "What's it going to take to do this kind of thing or see movements in the U.S.? Do we have to blow up uh, everything and start from scratch?" And that's what this series is about, just so you know. But yeah, so there are barriers and they're significant, but with God, all things are possible, right? And I think one of the biggest barriers for us is is time uh, it's a precious resource we give very little we, we fill up our time with so many things that there's very little margin for anything extra and disciple making takes time because it is relationship based and relationships don't just happen at the snap of a finger uh, it takes time and it's it and so part of the sacrifice which we'll get to in a moment is you have to give something up in order to be a disciple maker. In fact, you probably have to give a lot up. And our churches, unfortunately, are are great at filling up uh, church members' times with lots of inward focusing things. But disciple making is about um, going out to the lost. Okay, the next barrier is prayer and fasting. Right, and I can't wait to talk to Shadanke because when you start understanding, um, when you hear about the movements of, from David Young, it just seems like boom, 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 boom. These things are happening, and in many ways, they are really fast. But, but it it doesn't just happen out of a vacuum, and it's not because they have this perfect little strategy that will work all the time and work immediately. It's happening because it is so saturated in supernatural prayer, extraordinary amounts of prayer, far more than any of us feel like we have time for. And when we were, when we were ministering in Albania and it just seemed like we were trying to put these into practice, seemed like we were running up against walls. God, through a series of events, really convicted us that we were not praying nearly enough. And we had by what I think any, especially American believer would think was a very good, very healthy prayer life. But my wife and I started every morning getting up early and prayer walking for an hour to two hours every single day. And we did that for months and months. And suddenly we started seeing things happen that were incredibly obvious answers to prayer. And that was more prayer than we thought we had time for. But um, when we committed to doing it, we saw God answering. So we have to really believe in prayer and that prayer matters and that it changes things. That's good. Okay. Uh, valuing obedience over just knowledge. Yeah, I'm looking forward. To, one of our guests will be Roy Moran, who wrote the book Spent Matches. Um, and he's really great at answering that question of um how, how do you balance this idea of the churches we have now and trying to get movements going? But he loves focusing in on this as well, as do I, in that 
when we think, and we were just dealing with this when we were talking about definitions of discipleship, typically discipleship in, in the Western mind, especially among ministers, Christian leaders, is a, is a knowledge-based thing. It's, it's knowing more. Uh, but um, disciple-making and being a disciple is about be obedience. You follow Jesus. You are going where he is going. You're doing what he is saying to do. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen uh, the, the Chosen TV series, but you, you, I'm starting to see that in, the, in that series um, of, wow, it really was, you know, they told, he told Peter to go get some food for, for dinner. So he went and got some food. But that level of obedience is still available to us. And David Young mentioned it in, in that you, when you're praying that much, you start hearing that from series. Jesus and you start you start hearing, you start being led and the word becomes alive because you're reading not, ju not just to get it in your head, but you're reading it to say, how can I obey it right now? How can I go out and do this right now? Okay, so uh, just as a placeholder for folks, we, we talk about obedience-based disciple making. Uh, the next, Ken, is valuing community and relationships. Yeah. So again, disciple making is um, is not a private discipleship uh, in the way it's often thought of is more of kind of a private thing. But um, disciple making puts put yourself out there. It's about transparency because relationships happen when people are real with each other, when people um, aren't putting their mask on and pre pretending to be something else, but they're living life together, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And they're seeing Jesus work through that and bringing beautiful things out of it. So um, that, uh, that community and relationship has to trump our desire to keep things, uh, kind of keep our weaknesses in the dark and only show our best self, our Instagram self, right? Uh, it's much more about being very real with people and getting out there. And that's where community happens. That's good. Uh, the next is valuing, well, it's really related to what you just said, but yeah, valuing yeah. transparency and accountability. Right. Yeah. So those, those two things are definitely wrapped in. So I jumped ahead, I guess, but um, the idea of backing up of, of relationships is that um that I meant to mention is that a lot of times our churches are designed to keep us busy with each other. And it, um, not so much about stepping out and sometimes to make disciples, um, to find, to find the, the, the people of peace that God's working on. You have to, you have to cross the proverbial, go to the proverbial other side of the tracks, the, the people yeah. who maybe you're a little uncomfortable with. And you have to really step out in faith and start um, giving your giving yourself and stop socially distancing yourself from the world, right? And so um, those two things go hand in hand. Great. Uh, next, uh, humility and supernatural faith. Right. So humility is that. Um, we don't have it all figured out. And even as we share some of these methods, this isn't a, a cookie cutter answer. We can't see what Shadanke does and do exactly what he does and expect it to work here. It's, it's really about 
understanding that the spirit knows what's needed through his word. We can see how Jesus did it. We can find those core principles that are working for Stanke and will work for us. And, but then it comes down to really, really believing. And for me, the humility meant I, you know, I'd been a minister for many years. I know, I, I know the scripture pretty well. And I want to impart my knowledge, but it's much more important for me to just shut up and and let the people I'm I'm discipling uh, discover how the Spirit is speaking to them through God's Word. Okay, and it's not all about me. <laughs> one last uh, one last area, and then we're going to bring in in just a minute. We'll bring in Matt Dabs. I want to introduce Matt Dabs. Uh, um, Actually, before you talk about the last area, so uh, Kenneth wrote an article for discipleship.org a few weeks ago uh, where he talks about this. Uh, Here's the title of the article for those who are watching the recording. It's called Disciple Making is Not Glamorous. Perseverance is the Key. And you can find that on discipleship.org if you just Google it. I think for those of you watching live, uh, I believe Gary's putting it in the chat box. So talk about this last barrier, uh, Kenneth, yeah. in terms of perseverance and sacrifice. And, and one of the guests we're going to have in this series is my friend Pam Arlen, who trained and mentored me in disciple-making probably more than anyone else. And this is a, a focus of, of our talk. But because it's about relationships and because we're all messed up, and we're all broken, and we all need God's mercies anew every morning, it is challenging. It's hard. It's, it's hard on a gut-wrenching level. And in America, we like, to, we like to try to stay away from hard things or risky things or unsafe things. This is, this is really tough. We want to stick something in the microwave and we want it to be ready uh, 30 seconds later. But that's not how discipleship works. It takes uh, perseverance. There's a cost to it. When you look at the uh, a lot of disciple making movements like to look at Jesus model in Luke chapter 10 when you look at Jesus sending out the disciples in Luke 9 the 12 and then the 70 in Luke 10 um between those two bookends he talks about the cost of discipleship multiple times and he's talking to very very messed up disciples you think how could Jesus entrust this mission to these people they are so messed up i mean there is a, a a library full of issues they have just in that one chapter nine between those two bookends and and so um but he's he he makes it clear there is a cost because he wants them to under to not just try this discipleship thing and the moment it doesn't work say okay well i tried i'm gonna i'm gonna go do something else no this is about sticking with it this is about paying the price. This is about loving beyond anything we can do in the flesh. It really is supernatural, and um, and the the strength of the of the spirit and Jesus in us can can do far more than we can ask or imagine. Uh, that's great. Well, Kenneth, we're going to look forward to every Wednesday uh, to ten a.m. Central Time. Uh, you've got uh, this is a series of seven. Uh, presentations and an in-depth dive into disciple-making movements 
and how we can transfer those principles here to North America. So we're so grateful for you and and we look forward to those. We want to take a moment as our show's coming to an end this morning and introduce our new program director of all the shows inside the collective. And that's Matt Dabbs. So Matt, why don't you join us and uh, just give a brief introduction to what you'll be doing. Yes. Thank you, Bobby. And thank you, Ken, for everything that you shared. And as we've just gotten into planting in the last uh, year or so, that's everything you're saying. I've just taken notes and writing down book titles and I'm looking forward to the next six um, videos, next six interviews that you're going to do. And I'm just happy to be a part of the collective and the collective plus and just the mission that's going on here. We just so firmly believe in making disciples who make disciples. And I'm just so indebted to discipleship.org and renew it's just what it's doing what Bobby is doing and the staff there is doing and so when this opportunity came to help organize uh, the part of the video curriculum part of the video lessons and interviews that are going on I was just really excited about that and the way God opened that door was just such a story too but uh, so I'm really happy to be here and and I hope that uh, y'all will just share this with your friends and spread the word about it because the material here is just going to be just phenomenal and I'm just really really excited about it. Well, thank you, Matt. We're really glad to have you. Kenneth, super grateful <clears throat> that you're hosting this show. Thank uh, you. We're going to have several shows every week yeah. inside the collective. Yesterday, it was Pete Scazzaro talking about emotionally healthy discipleship. Tomorrow, it's uh, a theology discussion with uh, Daniel McCoy and Renee Sproles. So uh, every week, we'll be having at least three shows. So uh, really grateful for you guys. And we're grateful for all of you joining with us. Please come back and make sure that you're watching these shows. They will also be saved uh, in the various classrooms that will be noted inside the collective. So God bless everyone. Thank you for being with us.